0: Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. Thank you for coming out. Thank you for having me and allowing me to be part of your service today. I want to thank Lyndall for inviting me to preach. And for those of you that may not have met me before, I know I've been here before, but uh, if you're new, I, I work for the Parker Baptist Association, which is office here in Weatherford. Uh, but we are a network of 46 Baptist churches throughout Parker County. We work together to further the gospel here in our county and around the world and uh, to seek to influence churches and our our job is to help churches that help people to see and follow Jesus Christ and so I want to say thank you to you for your partnership your long-standing partnership uh, with the other churches of the Parker Baptist Association and uh, the cooperative ministry that we are able to do together for your work in Minnesota and uh, your work with church planting in Minnesota uh, my a lot of my heroes are people who go to difficult places uh, to do church planting. And very few people ever hear about them. They're not celebrities. Uh, They don't have uh, TV shows and they don't write books. And uh, nobody goes to their blog. And uh, very few people really talk about them. But they are well known in the kingdom because they're doing difficult work, good kingdom work in difficult places. And so I thank you for, uh, for investing in a church planter in a place where it's difficult to, to do gospel work and kingdom work. I also want to put in a quick plug for the Mary Hill Davis offering um, that you are about to take up, the Mary Hill Davis offering for state missions. And just to personalize it for you for just a moment, a couple of weeks ago, I, I recall that you uh, had a Wednesday night kickoff for your uh, children's programs for the fall. And from our association office, you got our, our ministry trailer that has uh, some inflatable games on it, and popcorn machine, and snow cone machine, and all that kind of stuff. And uh, I'll tell you that several years ago, that trailer and all the stuff that's on it was purchased with a grant from the Mary Hill Davis offering from State Missions. And so that offering does a lot of things around our state. One of the things that they do, to it, do with it is they, they offer grants to associations for strategic projects and several years ago we identified that as a strategic project. Uh, they granted us the money, so all that was done, and so uh, my encouragement to you is to think of the Mary Hill Davis offering uh, as uh, something that benefits local churches and local associations in the state of Texas, and, and I thank you for your participation in that. Uh, well, Lindell has asked me to continue his series in the book of Acts this morning, and uh, we're going to be uh, reading in Acts chapter 16, picking up where he left off last week. Uh, in 2011, there was a singer-songwriter by the name of Laura Story who recorded a song called Blessings. And the song is a conversation that she is having with God about walking through a difficult time. And she asks the question uh, toward the end of that song, what if the trials of this life are your mercies in disguise." That song was autobiographical for her because about five years earlier Laura had been been riding on a pretty good wave. She had written a song that had been recorded by another artist that was an award-winning song. She had been awarded her own recording contract. She had been uh, offered and accepted a job at a very large church in Atlanta, Georgia, a 4,000-member church and was doing good, effective ministry, and she got married, and life was really good. And a little over a year into her marriage, her husband discovered that he had a brain tumor. And that set in motion a long season of difficulty for her and her husband. Through the diagnosis and the, the uh, treatment and the, the recovery and all those things, it was just a very, very difficult time with a lot of unanswered questions, a lot of of detours that they had not anticipated. One day she was talking with her sister, and she said to her sister, you know, I can't wait for this to be over and for everything to be back to normal. Have you ever felt like that? You're in a season of life where you're, you're thinking, okay, if I could just get past this and everything got back to normal, I would be okay. And her sister said to her, Laura, what if this isn't just a bump in the road? What if this is your new road? What if this is your new normal? And so she, she began to reflect upon that, and out of that, she wrote this song that begins to think about how do we see God at work in the midst of difficult circumstances, and just exploring the idea that sometimes God's blessings may even be hidden in the midst of those difficult circumstances. Well, this morning we're going to read a story in Acts 16 about a couple of guys that found themselves in a very difficult circumstance. And what they did to discover, identify, and to act upon what they saw God doing in the midst of that difficult time. So I'm going to start reading in verse 25 of Acts 16. It says, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the jail were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains came loose. When the jailer woke up and saw the doors of the prison standing open, he drew his sword and was going to kill himself, since he thought that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul called out in a loud voice, Don't harm yourself, because we're all here. The jailer called for lights. He rushed in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. He escorted them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him, along with everyone in his house. He took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds and right away, all, he and all his family were baptized. He brought them into his house, set a meal before them, and rejoiced because he had come to believe in God with his entire household. When daylight came, the chief magistrates sent, to the, sent the police to say, release those men. The jailer reported these words to Paul, the magistrates have sent orders for you to be released, so come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They beat us in public without a trial, although we are Roman citizens and threw us in jail. And now they are going to send us away secretly? Certainly not. On the contrary, let them come themselves and escort us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates. They were afraid when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. So they came to appease them and escorting them from prison, They urged them to leave town. After leaving the jail, they came to Lydia's house where they saw and encouraged the brothers and sisters and departed. So our story opens with Paul and Silas in prison. And if you've been following the story along, you know that that, that Paul and Silas had not intended to ever be here. They had been sent by God through a vision into this Macedonian area. area. They had... uh, come to this town Philippi and they had, had met a woman named Lydia and they led her to Christ, they led her household to Christ. and uh, then they, they, they ran afoul of some of the business leaders in the city and they were complaining and they were accused of, of making mischief in town. And so the magistrates had them arrested and they had them beaten and they had them thrown in jail. and they are thrown into the deepest part of the jail because they were considered to be pretty good troublemakers, they said to the jailer, watch these guys. Watch over them carefully. And so he, he put them in the innermost cell, and then he put their feet in stocks so that they couldn't move around. And there they are. And our story picks up with Paul and Silas in that deep part of the jail, their feet in stocks, having been beaten, and they're singing at midnight. They're singing praises to God in the darkness, and the other prisoners are listening to them. Now, Paul and Silas had some options about what they could do at this point, obviously. They could, could be sitting there, and they could be complaining to God and asking him, why have you let this happen to us? We've done everything we know to do to be faithful. We've been following you. We've been following your will, and, and here we are. We're, we're in jail We've been beaten, and we don't know what's going to happen to us. Why are you letting this happen to us? <clears throat> will you do something that will vindicate us in front of everybody else? Because they really had not planned to be here at all. Paul had been trying to go through Asia Minor, and the Scripture says that the Spirit was, <clears throat> was not allowing him to move. It was hindering him to go where he wanted to go. And then he had a vision of a man from Macedonia who, who said to him, You need to come over here. And so, following that vision from God, they had gone over into this Macedonian region. They came to Philippi. They, they went down to the river where they expected to find some people who were praying. They found Lydia. They, they led her to Christ, led her household to Christ. They were doing exactly what God had told them to do. And now everything had gone wrong. And they're suffering, they're hurting. They're in the darkness, and they could be questioning God. You know, God, did, did we misunderstand? We, we think we did what you're doing, what you told us to do, and, and here we are. And it's all gone wrong. And we are, are demanding that you vindicate us in front of everybody else. We've been humiliated and we want your vindication. Another option would be that they could be responding in fear instead of anger. Because they're they're in there in the darkness. They don't know what's going to happen to them. And, and you know what it's like, you know, if you get a couple of people in the darkness like that and you, you become kind of an echo chamber and you, you think, you know, this could happen. Yeah, it's probably true and this could happen and they could be talking to each other. They can't see each other really. Uh, they, they, they have a lot of uncertainty and so they could just be generating fear for one another and so they could be calling out to God for rescue. God, come and rescue us. God, save us. We are in the midst of uncertainty. We're hurting. We're in the midst of difficulty. We need your help. Will you rescue us? But there's a third option. The third option is that they could be considering the possibility that God is at work in the midst of their circumstance. And What they're doing is is they're sitting there in jail in the midst of all that uncertainty all that pain, all that humiliation, all that difficulty, and they're praising God. Because Paul has a secret. He's got a secret. You want, to, you want to know what his secret was? He tells us in Philippians chapter 4, when he wrote a letter back to this church in Philippi, he said, I've learned the secret of contentment. I've learned what it's like to have a lot. I've learned what it's like to have a little uh, I've learned what it's like to, to have good circumstances. I've, I've, I have know what it's like to be in bad circumstances. So says, I've learned the secret of being content in all those circumstances. No matter what's going on, and everything else around me may be in turmoil, I know the secret to having peace inside of here. He says, I can do all things through Christ, Who strengthens me? He says, "I realize that if I will attach myself to Christ, if I will follow Jesus, if I will stay close to Jesus, that no matter what else is going on, I can find inner peace and inner contentment, and I can know that God is at work, and I can find Him in the midst of my circumstance, because I know the secret of contentment." Here is Paul living out what he will later say to the church in his letter. That he knows the secret is there. So he realizes I'm not really strong unless I present myself as weak to Jesus. Because my strength is really in my weakness. He says, I understand that I'm independent when I place my dependence upon Jesus. Not when I trust my own independence or what I can do. I know that I'm I'm really independent, I'm really free. When I'm dependent upon Jesus, all that stuff is upside down, right? That's not the way we think. We think we want to assert our own rights. We have to assert our own independence. We have to assert our own strength. And Paul says, hey, let me tell you a secret. You're not really that strong. You're only strong when you let Jesus be strong for you. And he will only be strong for you when you present yourself to him in weakness. And so Paul demonstrates, and Silas, they demonstrate that capability to to let go of their need to be vindicated or their need to be rescued and just to see God at work in the midst of their circumstances. And so so God works. There's an earthquake, a violent earthquake. The buildings shake, the doors fling open. And it is so violent. I, I, I really can't picture how violent this earthquake must have been that it would make chains loose and it would make the stocks come loose on their feet. But everybody is is unrestrained. And so there are some possibilities here. Maybe this is God saying, I'm vindicating you. I'm rescuing you. You can go because they're free, right? They, they're able to get up. They're able to walk out of the jail. They're able to do what they want to do. And the the question comes up, is this God's vindication for them? Is this God saying to them, I am going to rescue you? And at this point, Paul and Silas could have made the story about them. And they could have gone out and they could have said, look what God has done. You know, we have a whole vocabulary that's built around this, don't we? They could have gone out, they could have gotten on Facebook and said, man, God worked in a mighty way. That was a God thing. God really showed up for us. That is so like God to show up and to do that for us. You know, we we have that whole vocabulary about what God can do for us. And Paul and Silas could have done it. They could have gone out into the the local square and say, hey, you know, you thought we were troublemakers. (laughs) You know, you're wrong. You're in trouble now. Because God has vindicated us. He's rescued us. And the story could have been all about Paul and Silas. But the reality is that God is inviting them into a bigger story. It's not about them. It's about something bigger. And the the temptation for us always is to make the story about us, isn't it? When when God blesses us, when God does a, a mighty work, When God does appear in a a tremendous way, our our temptation is to make it about us, to make it our story, instead of recognizing that God might be inviting us into an even bigger story. And that's what's happening here. Paul and Silas realize this really isn't about us being set free. This is about the church in Philippi. And so so what what they're doing is they're thinking, So what's what's God doing here? What's God up to that he would send this earthquake? There's something going on here, and, and they wait for it. They don't run off. They wait for it. And so we discover here that this is really not about Paul and Silas. It's about the church. It's about Paul and Silas being the facilitators of God's work to the church through them. Now I want to pause here for just a second because some of you don't know me very well so I want to be real clear. I do believe that God showers blessings upon us and I don't want to minimize that at all. And I think we should be grateful for it. I don't don't want to in any way imply that we should be ungrateful for God's blessing. What I think Paul and Silas demonstrate for us here is the fact that sometimes we make God's blessing about us. Instead of Instead of recognizing when God blesses us for the purpose of letting that blessing flow through us to other people to do kingdom work. And that's what's going on here. It's kind of like Abraham. You know, when Abraham was called by God in Genesis, God called him and he said, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to make you a great nation. And the rest of the earth is going to be blessed because of you. See, God blesses us so that we can be a channel of letting his work flow through us to have kingdom impact on, on other people. And that's what Paul and Silas recognize here. It's not about them. It's about the church. And so, so when the jailer appears, and he's standing there, and he's, he's panicking because his prisoners, he thinks, are gone. The doors are open. I mean, who wouldn't have walked out, right? I mean, who, who would refuse to get up and walk out of jail in their right mind? That is totally upside down. And so the jailer assumes that he's in a lot of trouble because the punishment for him letting the prisoners go for not keeping them in jail is that he will have to serve their sentence. So whatever the accumulation of sentences would be for all the people that were in prison that get out, he's going to have to do that. And he, he realizes that, that he's in a lot of trouble. And it may be bad for his family. And there may be a lot more that, worse that happens to him. And so he thinks his only viable option is to commit suicide. That's how bad it is. And, and Paul looks at the jailer, and, and, and again, the temptation would be, to use the jailer as an example, and, you know, after this is all over and the jailer commits suicide and he goes back out into the, into the public square, he could say, you know, that's what happens when you lay your hand on God's anointed. It's just the way it works. Or, well, that's what happens when you play for the wrong team. You know, you need to get on God's team. And Paul could have seen him as just an example that could have been used to further his interest But instead, he looks at the jailer, and he sees gospel opportunity. Now, how many of us look at people who have betrayed us or who have caused us to suffer or who have hurt our feelings or who have inflicted some damage on us, and we look at them, and what we see is gospel opportunity? That's just not the way we think, is it? But here's Paul again, turning everything upside down. He says, you know... I just gotta tell you, I've learned the secret to all this. And the secret is just to follow the way of Jesus. And when Jesus looked at me, he saw a gospel opportunity. So when Paul looks at the jailer, he sees opportunity. He says, Hey, hey, we're here. We're all here. Don't do anything like that. And the jailer, when he sees that, you know, he calls for a light, he brings everybody in, he sees all that, and he says, you know, I want what you've got. I want that contentment that you have. First Peter chapter 2, Peter is writing about, about the fact that, that we should live in such a way so that when people are, are ridiculing us, they're making fun of us, and they're, they're talking about, about what we've done and, and thinking that they're, they're bringing ridicule to us, what they're actually doing is they're describing the goodness and glory of God. They don't even know it. And he says there that it's God's will to silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. So this is what Paul is doing. He says, look, this is an opportunity. I could, I could save myself, but what I really want to do is I want to introduce you to Jesus. So he does it. He says, you just believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. And the man does. He and his household are all saved because Paul and Silas decide that they're not going to save themselves. They're going to wait and see what God is up to because God was inviting them into a bigger story. They're more concerned about the life of the jailer and his household and the church that they're planting than they are about themselves. And so we find them in verse 34 rejoicing together because this man and his household have come to know God. Sometimes we have to remember that God is inviting us into a bigger story than the one we might write for ourselves. We find ourselves in difficulty and we find ourselves in in tough circumstances and we think, you know, God, if you would just take care of this, I would appreciate it. If you could bless me and get me out of this, I will tell your story. And so we we make it about us and instead God's inviting us into even something bigger. Sometimes in the midst of that difficulty we can find God at work, not vindicating us or rescuing us, but in inviting us into real kingdom service. And we can learn that secret to contentment that no matter what's going on, we can let God be at work through us to serve others and to serve his kingdom. Well, then the magistrates decide that they need to let Paul and Silas go. Maybe it was the earthquake, I don't know, that, that caused them to think that. So they decide, hey, we're going we're gonna to send the police officers to let them go. And, and Paul and Silas say, no, sorry, we're Roman citizens, and we should not have been beaten publicly. You know, it's against the law to treat us this way. And so you're going to have to come and, and do this yourself. So it begs the question, why didn't Paul and Silas... You know, invoke their rights as Roman citizens early on in this story? Why did they let themselves be beaten? Why did they let themselves be thrown into jail? Because Roman citizens by law were allowed due process. And so they've been terribly mistreated, and something bad could happen to these city leaders because of what they've done. So, so why didn't they, they invoke their rights? I mean, that's what we would do, wouldn't it? Mean, that's what we do all the time. We want to say we've got the right to do this. This is my right to do this. I'm going to guard my rights. And, and Paul and Silas didn't do it. Why? Well, I can only think of one reason. The text doesn't tell us. I wish sometimes that there were some divinely inspired footnotes, but we don't have any. So I'm guessing. But I, I think that, that this is why. I think that Paul and Silas wanted to teach the church how you act when you face difficulty. Because this church was going to face difficulty. And Paul and Silas saw the opportunity to teach them, this is how it works. So, sometimes you're going to be treated unjustly. That's just going to happen. Be ready for it. And this is how you respond. You, you look at the situation and you try to figure out where god is on the move in that situation don't don't be worried about yourself be be worried about concerned about how you can be part of where god is moving in that situation sometimes you're going to be treated uh you're going to suffer for the gospel and that suffering is going to come just be ready for it because it's going to take place we suffered you're going to suffer but you know what God is in the midst of that suffering. Somewhere inside of that suffering is a seed of the kingdom. Look for it. Find it. Invest in it. And do gospel work because of what God is doing through your suffering. There's a purpose for your suffering. Paul is saying, you know, sometimes God is going to ask you for a sacrifice. And there's going to come a point where he's going to want to know whether you are fully invested in the kingdom or not. And you need to be able to answer, yes, we are. You know, I've been doing missions for a long time. And I'll just tell you something that I've learned in all of that. And that is, there comes a point in time in which God puts you in a situation. He allows a bump in the road or a new road or whatever. And it is a point at which he wants to know if you're all in. If you're fully committed. If you're ready to really serve him. If you're really going to be fully invested in the kingdom. And he gives you that opportunity and he he waits for that answer. He calls for that sacrifice. And Paul is saying to the Philippian church, look, following Jesus is going to involve some sacrifice. Here's how you do it. So they, they didn't invest, they didn't invoke their rights early on. Because here at the end, they're investing in the church and their ability to do ongoing kingdom work and understand what it looks like to serve the kingdom in the midst of suffering. You know, we live in a, a world where there's a lot of change. There's a lot of political change going on. There's a lot of economic change going on and uncertainty. There's a lot of a lot of social uncertainty going on. There's a lot of uncertainty in church life and in church environments and so forth, lots of change and uncertainty and everything that we can find. There's one author who, who writes that we are in a time of discontinuous change. What he means by that is that something changes, and before we can fully adapt to it, then it changes again, and we never get to a place where we feel settled because every time we're just about there, something changes again, and it is just it can frustrate us. And we could, could look for that, that normal. If everything could just get back to normal, we would be fine. And it just doesn't get normal. And God's saying to us, you know, I'm there, I'm at work. And instead of complaining to God, instead of asking to be vindicated by God, instead of being fearful, we can look for where God is at work and find Him in it. One of my favorite authors is Bob Goff. In his book, Everybody Always, he says, the way we deal with uncertainty says a lot about whether Jesus is ahead of us leading or he's behind us just carrying our stuff. Don't, Don't put Jesus behind us carrying your stuff. When you're dealing with uncertainty, let Jesus lead you. Like Paul said, attach yourself to him and follow him. So at the end of the story, we find Paul and Silas encouraging the brothers and sisters, putting courage in them to know how to deal with suffering, and they do it, right? Because in Philippians 1, when he writes back to them, he says, I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in every prayer because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Well, this is the first days of the church. And Paul says, I look back on you, and I thank God every time I think about you because you've been a partner in the Gospel. You've been all in since that time began. So here are my questions for you this morning. What does midnight look like for you? What does it look like for you, somebody hurt your feelings or when difficulty comes, you face some kind of conflict or some kind of challenge in your life. It can be small. It could be a bump in the road. It could be a little bit of a hill that you have to climb. It could be a mountain, and you have no idea how you're going to get to the top of it. And, and you're thinking, it's midnight. I'm in darkness. I'm hurting. I can't see the future. I can't see a way out. What does it look like for you? And how are you going to respond when you face your midnight? Are you going to ask God to vindicate you? God, I, you know, I've been serving you a long time. You know, it's time for you to do for me. Are you going to respond with fear? Say, God, I, you know, I need you to rescue me. I can't see anything. I'm afraid. I need your help. Or are you going to say, you know, God, I, I'm, it's dark. It's dark. And I can't see. But I know you're there. Help me to see you and what you are doing, and let me join you in it. Let me have that pleasure of being part of your work, even in the midst of difficulty. Can you sing at midnight like Paul and Silas did?